Well, hey, welcome back to the Making Disciples Everyday podcast. My name is Jason Dukes. I'm on team here with Brentwood Baptist, uh, a church family that is one church family in a lot of different neighborhoods across Middle Tennessee. I've got Paul Wilkinson with me. Hello. And then we also today have with us the campus and teaching pastor of the church at Harpeth Heights, one of our campuses out in Bellevue. The good doctor. <laughs> almost, right? No, no, already is. No, no, no. Getting no, close. No. The good, the almost close good doctor, Brandon Owen. We're glad you're with us. Thanks, Jason. <laughs> All right. So just a recap. And lately on the podcast, we've been talking about God's story. We've been talking about the significance of our own story. We've been talking about um, leaning into and learning and connecting to other people's stories. Um and obviously all of this around the gospel story itself, that beautiful message that God's always been trying to communicate with us. And, and so we're challenging our people, live disciple-making lives, engage in gospel conversations. We've talked about it several times that you're going to have one-time gospel conversations and we need to do that. You're also going to have ongoing gospel conversations, which is probably more the norm in the New Testament. Um, and just the way the church lived out the gospel with each other. But we, we are saying, hey, yes, have gospel conversations with those who've yet to believe, but understand that it, the gospel environment, the environment of yourself understanding the gospel is what helps us big time to be able to better engage in those conversations. But we all know that as we go and we equip for this, as we encourage, as we as we engage in these ways, that there are hangups and hindrances. And that's what we want to talk about today. What are some of those hangups and hindrances that keep us, or that, as the word says itself, hinder us from engaging in disciple-making lives with those yet to believe and engaging in gospel conversation with people that may really need that same news about Jesus doing more than enough for us to have a name for ourselves that we would, you know, treasure that that is his name and, and this identity in him. So talk to us first, Brandon, if you don't mind, about if you can even be willing to get personal about in, in your own life, right? In your own life, what what are some of the hangups and hindrances that you could maybe highlight or you could even describe that you've kind of felt navigated through, maybe you're still navigating through? Yeah, I'll be glad to. Um, so my own story, I grew up in the church, and dad is a preacher, and uh, his dad is as well. So um, I grew up being encouraged to have gospel conversations. We didn't call them that at the time, but it's what we share our faith with, with others. And I was uh, prone to do that uh, even at a young at a young age, which I think is really good. And what it produced in me, though, was a— propensity to do it in some very reckless ways where the 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 message itself just getting across and 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 praying for it to elicit some kind of a response which we wanted it to be a surrendering to the to the gospel which is all good it's just some of the ways that i developed uh doing that i I look back and I, i consider them reckless and uh not relational whatsoever and so um hang up and hindrance i have personally is, is trying to work through that and some of those memories. I, I remember um, 
college course, uh, summer course. And there was a, I remember she was a young girl who, um, was actually still in high school, but she was receiving college credit. She was taking this, this course with us in the summer. And, um, gosh, it's kind of creepy when I look back on it, but she was waiting for her mom to pick her up and I just hung out with her. Like, you can't do this anymore, but I hung out with her after class and was, she was Jewish. And I was, I was explaining to her the gospel and, uh, in a, in a way that I was trying to get her to change her mind about what had been deeply rooted in her by her family. And she just looked at me and she said, Brandon, do you not understand that I don't want what you have? And um, I was unwilling as a 20-year-old to receive that at the time. Um, what I have learned uh, how to combat these hang-ups and hindrances that I have as I look back and see some of the recklessness that I imposed on people is that this is, this is something that, as you said, Jason, uh, it doesn't have to be quick, and it probably shouldn't be. These are, these are relational conversations that, that take place over time that, that occur best or when there's trust involved between people and um that's what we're trying to encourage at harpeth heights is just a uh, an understanding that these can look like uh, a lot of different things in the way that they that they come about and 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 more than any kind of particular results we want people who are just excited about and 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 prone to just share what jesus is doing in their life throughout the course of their life with those that they that they come in contact with. I think the hangups and hindrances become less when that is what is driving uh, our gospel conversations. It's a change that's taking place in, in me for sure. Um, and I think we're creating a culture here that allows for our pastors and leaders and, and, and even new Christians to come alongside one another and be much more on a level playing field. I often tell parishioners, it's, there's, there's no particular place you're supposed to be on this journey with Jesus other than maybe a little further along than you were and sure there's room to, to go backwards but a little further along than you were when we see it that way um, we can we can do a lot more together I believe to, to help one another along I think that's great and I, I think I love the word reckless I think I think it's apropos right that we can be reckless because we we get we get so focused on I have to figure out the right way to say it and the right answers and the right things to say so that I can convince you out of whatever current thing you're thinking. And I think I fear in that recklessness that we're losing two things, right? We're, we're kind of forgetting how much more effective it is to talk about why we ourselves need the gospel, that, that vulnerability and, and Mike, I think, said it well in the sermon bumper recently about it's just telling a, a part or a truth of the gospel and how Jesus is making a difference in your own life. And so the vulnerability that comes with that, and but it's reckless, right, not to have that vulnerability, even though I think some people are afraid that it's more reckless to have it, right? But, you know, I mean, talk about that for a minute. Like, how have you seen, as you've grown out of some of that recklessness, how have you seen vulnerability and just listening better to to what are the real questions people are asking? Like that young lady wasn't really even asking a question, was she? Like she, she didn't have she she had no desire to understand where I was coming from or what I believed in. I totally started that conversation with her, and um, as I look back, I, I think of I think of N.T. Wright saying that like 
responding to 10% of the UK being a part of a worshiping congregation anymore. And his, his comment on that is, well, if if you look at the God that's portrayed by much of the UK, that, that God's not worth getting up on a Sunday morning and worshiping. It makes sense. Well, when I think of the conversation I was trying to start with that young young lady, uh, what I was, I was telling her what she needed, to your point, and, and what I was telling her she needed wasn't even compelling. <laughs> like, right. It wasn't, you know, it, there wasn't yeah. any reason for her to respond other than the way that she did. And fast forward to a couple of really good experiences I've had recently that, that have resulted in baptism. And, and, you know, one of those relationships, it took two years to get mm. to the baptismal waters. And you know what? If, it, if we still weren't there with that friend I made, that would be okay, too. Yeah, and if it good. never got to the baptismal waters... With me, that would you know maybe it would somewhere down the road with some somebody else that picks yeah. up that that conversation with that with that person. Um, <laughs> the Holy Spirit's doing this work, mm-hmm. not me. I didn't understand that 15 years ago. I, I thought it was me. And you were confident to invite that person into your life for two years. Yeah, and that's such the the biggest first step is a Are we praying for individuals to invite into our life, yeah. and then when that moment comes, are we willing? to invite them into our lives. And I really like the word reckless as well. Um, one, because I am that. <laughs> but in a healthy way, there is a spiritual recklessness where we have a confidence in the gospel. Sure. But I know early on, being trained as a philosopher, I was reckless in a terrible way. In that, I knew a, I knew enough arguments to go blast people with them. <laughs> I had no concept of compassion. The idea, um, always be prepared to give a defense for your faith, but do so with compassion. I just ignored that, and I just went and gave the defense. And thought if I blew up their worldview, why would they not just submit and worship in that moment? And I think I very much had a Peter mentality where people needed to be clean before they came to Jesus. And my job was to scrub them up, was to bathe them and hose them off with arguments and destroying their worldview and everything they value, just obliterate it. And then once they're clean, I can give them over to my Lord. And you, you come to see in the life of Peter and the way Christ called him, you get clean after Christ cleans you and the Holy spirit empowers you to become clean. Mm. Uh, So I remember early on up in Ohio in and around the Ohio state area, um, particularly a a few homosexual friends there. Mm. And it was like, man, reject your lifestyle, Uh, leave all that and become Christian. Well, certainly, you know, give yourself to Christ, but this idea that, that you can, and you ought to deny everything, you know, and believe in the moment and then come to Christ Mm. It's not that way around as we submit to Christ and over time, the Holy Spirit empowers us to uh, do those godly things. Why would you be godly before you have Christ? It's it's a rare deal. I mean, we have some concept of it in Romans too. uh, the Gentiles who do what's right to the law. But this idea of clean first is just I think that's Satan's work. And I was a big helper to Satan in that for a lot of years. No, it's so good. It's so good. It's it's interesting because I think and I don't want to just boil it down to a cliche, but it's almost like we forget that it wasn't just sin that Jesus nailed to the cross. It's these other legalistic and theological and doctrinal standards that we held up as high as Jesus, that we let become idols in some ways to Christ and somehow. make them equal to Christ somehow, like the Judaizers that Galatians is written toward, for instance. I mean, you know, like we... It's almost like we forget that even sta- any other standard besides Jesus got nailed to the tree too, not just our sin. 
And so you're exactly right. I mean, that, that, that expectation of saying, no, they had to get clean or they had to, you know, and I know there's lots of debate about this. So I'll ask it as a question instead of an assertion, but, but I wonder if sanctification is a lot more about our belief being shaped, which then shapes our behavior than it is about our behavior being shaped because we mustered up the right belief, right? Like that, because to me that that's what you're getting at is is we're expecting that we have this expectation that everyone's going to believe correctly and 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 then we're going to say now you can be baptized right. right when really baptism is this initiation into a journey of getting to discover Jesus but believing enough in him that you know he is worth following and I will go with him so, right yeah so I had, it's so interesting you said that because I was thinking belong before you behave mm. when Paul was when you were talking when you were just talking Paul and then and even oh you know the belong before you believe That's even right. as well and I so so you look at the text from this week and you see that uh, Peter was willing to to go to Cornelius which I, I think was a thing <laughs> according to our text like he wasn't necessarily supposed to associate with them yep. uh, certainly wasn't supposed to allow Cornelius's the people sent to Peter. To, to come into his home. Mm-hmm. I'm speaking of Acts 10 here, and that's that's, that's what we're looking at this week. Um, but uh, Peter was willing to em- engage Cornelius, who had obviously been having experiences with God, uh, even and, and, and needed Peter to come ex- help help unpack yep. what he was experiencing and some some truths of the gospel that Peter had yep. because of his experiences with God, as as littered as that was with the controversy that it was with Peter, you know, two months before he was saying he didn't even know Jesus. And then now the text is telling us that he looked like somebody who had been with Jesus. That's Mm -hmm. quite a transformation. Um, But he was willing to go and and engage with Cornelius um, even before Cornelius behaved or, or believed correctly. I think we can infer from the text. So it's a good example for us there. I think with what you're talking with, what you both are talking about. I'm encouraged by that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's stay on that topic for a minute. So Peter, right, we could certainly talk about the Cornelius side, which you just referenced. And so, you know, definitely that's an angle from him. Let's talk about even this hindrance hang-up element for Peter, right? Because it, it isn't just this idea of I'm afraid, right? Peter really was afraid, but he masked it with a machoism and a bravado that, Right. But in this situation, it wasn't about fear. Right. Like there's there were other things holding him up. Talk about that. Like what what was going on with Peter? What had to change and what did he have to rethink to even go have this gospel conversation? It's what Paul just alluded to. It was it was a lot of what he was having to 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 come out his formation. He was having to come out of. I mean, this whole journey through Mark the last few weeks and then into into Acts, we've seen how difficult it is for the for those who 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 have power to to relinquish that power, which is what Jesus is asking us to do. I had a chance to meet with with Fred Gray a few weeks ago, who was a longtime civil rights lawyer uh, for Dr. King, and he he spent two hours with me and my cohort there. Uh, uh, it was a school trip. And um, after spending two amazing hours with him, he just looked at us and said, let me just boil it down. He was speaking to us about the civil rights struggles through the years. Let me just boil it down to you this way, women and men. As a rule, people are 
absolutely unwilling to give up their power. And, and, I, and I think that, that, that Jesus is calling us to that, and, and Peter's right in the, right in the middle yeah. of that um, in, so in giving up some of the things that he's held rightfully so, you know, so dear in his tradition and, uh, and what he had believed and how Jesus was shaking that up to, to allow for space to invite the other in yeah. because this tent was getting bigger now. Gentiles are now... <laughs> a part of the party. That's right. So let's get on board. And I think that, I think that stretched Peter. Yeah. yeah I and mean, for me, I think of it, this is what Brandon struck in my mind. If our God is big enough to save those who hate him, namely all of us who sin and rebel against him, are we big enough to become a witness for those we hate? Mm. So can we be the presence of Christ for those individuals? We, we got to have a God who's that big and who's that radical, and who's Absolutely. that messy. And that's some of the recklessness of the liberty we have in Christ and, and freedom's tough because freedom will push you to some weird places to dine with sinners and, and to recline at the meal house of a tax collector. But then that tax collector might end up writing a gospel like, sure. like we see in Matthew. <laughs> and so do we have a God big enough to do that sort of stuff? I yeah. think sometimes we live, I don't think we believe this. We, we assent intellectually to supernaturalism that we have a God working in and through this world and a material God and a Holy spirit empowering people. But I don't know that. And I when I say we, I mean me in particular, I don't know that I live that way day by day. Hmm. I don't know that when I'm in the grocery store line or at a red light that I assume that we have an omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient, loving God acting on that other person yeah. in some way that's brought me into communion with them. I don't think my God's that big yeah. enough of the time. Yeah. And Peter had to realize his God is that big. No question. No question. So, it, you know, I love that. And I think just to, I want to highlight again what you just said, because I, I want to make sure those listening heard that. Like, like it, it's this idea that we we can't, and you said this before we started, so I want to give Paul credit for this. You know, you, you, you made, you said it so well that we have become so immersed in, enamored with, duped by, uh, sold out to the materialism around us, the, the, the feelings that that gives us, the things that we consume, the, the rhythms that we find ourselves in that are so comfortable and safe and, like, like all of these different things. So we, it's almost like we don't have, not only do we not have margin to even look well and see who might be welcoming us into a gospel conversation or into a disciple making relationship. Do we even have the margin to say, God, you are at work in someone else's life. And it may be the person that I don't think has any chance of trusting you. But I'm going to believe and pray and even love that person well enough that it, at least they're going to know that they're loved by me, even if that's all they ever decide to give knowledge and belief to. Right. And because I think if we take that posture that God really can take someone like a Paul who by all, all who by all extents and purposes was a terrorist of his day. Right. Was an extremist. A, a zealous spiritual leader decided theologically to go take a step that actually hurt someone else, right? So, and it's not just Stephen. I mean, we see that he was, he was, that people were afraid of him, right? 
And yet this well, when guy he had the Damascus Road experience, he was walking with a warrant to throw new believers in jail. That's His exactly goal right. was to imprison them. And so this extremist becomes the very person that takes the gospel to everyone who's not a Jew. Right? So the leader, a key leader in the early church was a zealous terrorist at one point, right? Like it's almost like we don't think and if he if God can do that, then the guy at work that we think is just a bum and never never thinks about anybody anything but himself or that, or that, that lady that you've connected with that you think is just snooty and doesn't, or, or the friend at school that you think, man, all they do is think about themselves or, or even, or even the person who you've never even thought you, because they're so quiet and introverted and tucked away somewhere, you've never thought that they could become someone who would have a catalytic role in helping someone else discover Jesus. Yeah. God can, God goes ahead of us. Do we believe that, right? Maybe that's a hang-up more than just our fear of knowing the right things to say or whatever. I, I think it absolutely is. I, I think. I mean, I I was just thinking as you were saying that. I mean, what would it take for the Holy Spirit to convince us to believe more that that people actually want to hear <laughs> the gospel from us? I think a hang-up that our people uh, our members, our, our congregation's experience is that we believe, and I think Satan tells us this, that we believe that, that what we have, people have no interest in. Yeah. And that is not the truth. The truth is they, they do have interest in it. They, maybe they don't realize it, but, but, but deep within all of us is, is a, is a desire for, for meaning. I would say purpose may be a better word there, but just this, yes. that we are, we are made, for for so much more than than the consumerism that you that Paul referenced before we started yeah. and and we actually yeah we don't live like it all the time uh, as 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 followers of Christ Paul didn't even uh, after his Damascus Road experience yeah. but we have a story to tell that people actually want and so when we pray that way I think we can have a greater propensity to share that story with the people that we that we come across simply because we believe we 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 have something that is desired by them. I think that's good. I think that's good. Yeah, you know, I, I I hope as you're listening, I hope maybe maybe you're asking this question. Maybe you're thinking, hmm, I wonder I wonder what I know already. Not what I don't know. I wonder what I know already, or at least think I know, that might be a hindrance or a hang up for me right now. Like what 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 do I need to unknow, right? What do I need to unlearn? To, to be able to engage in these the way that the way that Jesus uh, you know himself engaged in them and and I feel like every week we come back to this right I think it's I think it's funny that every week so far we've mentioned this but I, I think it's interesting that if we get right the simple fact that we ourselves are worth dying for to Jesus that he loves us, right? First John three, that this magnificent love, how great, what, what, what an extent, what a great love that God has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And I think, you know, if we really, if we really receive that and keep reminding ourselves of it, you know, how much more are we going to want to help someone else see that? Cause I think that's, to me, that's one of the hangups is we've gotten so busy and so focused on trying to figure out the gospel facts and how to say them in a convincing way that we've almost forgotten how to see other people in their brokenness 
and recognize that even the things I may dislike about someone or be bothered about by someone or be or cringe at or are not or wonder why do they act that way, right? If I could put on Jesus's glasses the way that he saw people, I might actually look instead and say they're worth dying for. And so what facet of brokenness is is making them think or believe or act that way? And you talk about trusting God to give us wisdom and, and to act, right? That's, I think, how the Spirit wants to act, is right. to give us an insight into someone's life because He's given us that insight into our own life. And we've been open to that movement of the Spirit in our own life. And now we're letting Him use us to give that that open door to someone else to say, this is what God wants to do with you too, right? What He's doing with me. Does that make sense? Am I saying, how else would you say that? No, you're spot on. I wouldn't say it any other way. I wouldn't say it. I like the way you say it. And what was so convicting to me is to understand how the Lord is working on both ends of the spectrum and what he's actually asking for me. And so this came struck home to me as I was dealing with um, particularly some higher level academics, particularly in the biological sciences where evolution is the only game in town. And I was of the opinion, well, you can't believe in evolution in the Bible, so let's get that belief right, and then maybe you can come to church with me. Then maybe I'll, <laughs> I'll share the gospel with you. So it wasn't resurrection out. It was get your beliefs right, and then I might give you a peek at the resurrection of Christ. As so I was convicted, it's the other way around. Because mm-hmm. Romans 1 and Romans 2 says God's already designed people to know him in creation and in the moral law. Mm-hmm. The latter chapters of John, where Jesus is with his disciples in Passover, says the Holy Spirit is a convictor and judge of sin and righteousness. So God hardwires them on the front end to know him. The Holy Spirit does the conversion on the back end. Uh, We know, I think our text from next week is about God ordaining the times and boundaries in which we live so that we'll seek him. (laughs) So God's already done all of that. The question is, will I show up and represent the resurrection? And so often, no, I'm not willing to because that person's not worth it or I'm too busy. Or as you said, when we did a Living Sin series a few years ago, I'm not willing to give up anything in my life to make time for that guy Mm. up the street. Mm. Uh, I hate him that much. Mm. That's the way it goes about. And I I was convicted that God's already done all the work for me. (laughs) He's just asking me, go be present with that person. And if I'm not willing to do that, it's really tough for me to say I love Jesus. Mm. I just don't know what it means anymore at that point. So why why Paul, if you don't mind me asking you, why? because I agree with everything you just said, why would we be unwilling to go do it? Well, for me, it was um, two things. One, I lacked the confidence that God could save that person, I think. Mm. Um, He needed me to convince them of something. So, for instance, let me convince them that the Darwinian worldview is fleeting, which I think it is as a wholesale worldview anyway. But I need to convince them of that so my God can do a work on him. Mm. Um, So I think it was just getting it upside down for me is, you know, unless I can convince them of that, then I'm not going to share the resurrection with them. And since they're recalcitrant and don't want to hear it and they won't submit to my argument and my way of thinking, well, then God must not want them saved. And so you check out on them and other stuff's more important, like going to study more arguments or how to knock <laughs> how to knock that down. Uh, so for me, the busyness. So I, I guess I idealize the knowledge for me um, that if I got smart enough, God could use me if, if I knew enough arguments, um, then then my God could actually do a work on somebody. So it was really, you know, God needed me to get her done, as it were. That's That's South Carolinian. (laughs) That's that's powerful. I I, 
I resonate with that. And I, I was, I was trying to get people to agree with me for so long. And, um, I really feel like I've let that, I've let that go. And in a lot of ways, and, and I'm confident that, um, that he who actually began a good work in me will carry it out mm-hmm. and, and it can trickle to, to others and trickle back to me. And I'm still learning new, new things. I don't, I don't have it all figured out. I, it's one of the reasons I'm really drawn to the idea of having gospel conversations with other believers, because as, as I have understood better and better how loved I am by God, which I see most pre- prevalently through other believers, through yeah. my family and, and friends loving me, it, it helps me believe that I'm, that I'm lovable. And um, I think that translates to, to, to people yet to believe. Yeah. Uh, I think we can, we can show love um, even before, even before telling them exactly where this love originates from. Yeah. Um, and then it can become more believable. Well, I, I had a guy when we were living in Orlando, I, I mean, that was the story of, of one of the guys that we saw come to faith. He was invited along into a group of us, into a, into several of our lives together. And he watched us navigate differences with each other. Wow. Right. He watched us give forgiveness to each other or or not agree on things and still treat each other like family. And um, and he would he went he would say at some point later in that relationship that when he began to follow Jesus in his opinion was as he began to realize how meaningful this was, even in the way we were relating with each other, what if, if it could get us to relate like that with each other, it must be able to do something in his life. And, you know, and I, and I think, I think, I think that's what I want to encourage. If, I mean, if you're listening you're thinking, okay, yes, I hear you hindrances and hang up. I might be thinking a certain way about someone. I might be thinking a certain thing theologically like Peter was, I may have to give up some of those things it, and it might just be the hindrance or the hang up of, I'm not showing up. I just need to show up, right? I need to believe. And, and, you know, if you're hearing these things, you may have four other hindrances or hangups that you would throw in the mix, and we'd love to hear about them. You can email us and, and tell us about it, um, Dukes at BrentwoodBaptist.com, or Paul, if he's willing to give his, can give his out. But, but, um, P. Wilkinson. Yeah, things. P. Wilkinson at BrentwoodBaptist.com. And, you know, email us, tell us some of those that are hindrances and hangups for you, because here's the bottom line. We have to do a better job of encouraging each other to get past the hindrances and hangups and give the same message to others that God's been trying to give to all of us since before the foundation of the world. I mean, the very reason he made us was because he was communicating a word to us and he summed that word up with Jesus. And so what's that message? You said it, right? It's this identity that we have in Christ that is not only life giving and purpose giving, but it overcomes the darkness in all the dark rooms of my heart and mind. And, and, you know, and I think we, 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 we hurt ourselves. We're back to that reckless word. It's reckless. If all we do is think that the facts of the gospel are going to meet someone in their own insecurities and worries and convince them for this. It's, they've got to see why it makes a difference in our fears, in our worries, in our doubts, in our concerns, in our pride, in our arrogance, in our, you know, we need to, we, and so we have to invite them close enough to see that. And, 
there will be times where God's already done work and you stumble upon the person at the public's deli and it's just the moment, right? And all of a sudden, nobody's coming up to get a number to get some turkey. And God's just made a divine appointment for you to tell, to tell that person about the hope they have in Christ. And they're going to pray right there and get baptized, right? Like, but that's an exception, in my opinion. That's not the norm. The norm is that coworker that over time, it isn't just that they quote unquote see a difference in your life. They actually, you've invited them into your, they welcome relationship. And as you do interact with each other, they see why you yourself have, are letting the gospel be real and meaningful in your life. And they start to think, well, what did that mean to me? Maybe in closing, Brandon, I know you and, uh, and Leslie and you guys have loved people well in the different ministries you've had. And, and I know where you were before you, you loved a lot of students well, a lot of young people well, and others too, older too. But I'm just saying, maybe maybe encourage our listeners, if you can think of it. And I didn't prep him with this, so it's <laughs> he can kick me later. But maybe encourage our listeners um, with just a story that stands out to you that maybe highlights what we're talking about here, that where you made enough room in your life, where you, you guys were able to give an encouragement of that gospel to someone else because they just saw it in you guys. They saw it in your lives. Well, I would go back to, um, to one of the two conversations, one of the two relationships I mentioned, I mentioned yeah. earlier. Um, and the enc- encouragement undergirding this, this short story would be I had space in my life to, to allow, we had space in our life which we've, we've, we've filled up our lives pretty good. And it's hard to, um, it's very easy in today's world to, to, to a hindrance to be busyness for so, for so many of us. And we just missed opportunities altogether, or we, we don't have the, um, the Sabbath space in our life to, um, to recognize what God might be up to. But, um, yeah, with with one particular friend that I've gotten to know, um, he uh, he pursued me, and um, he showed up at our church because he he thought um, he had one mutual friend, but he also he just found the worship experiences to be compelling. And praise God, I see that as the work of the Holy Spirit, sure. kind of going before us there that He would, because He's not from our tradition at all. And, um, he asked me to go get a cup of coffee and that's, that's my heart language. So I was open to that, but I had space to do it, you know, and I recognized that he was genuine and he really wanted to. And, uh, you know, um, I baptized him two and a half years later. It's awesome. And when, and I love him and he loves me it's and, cool. um, we know each other really well Yeah. and it needed that space. Yeah. For that to happen, yeah. Um, Leslie Ann could tell you similar stories about relationships he's had. She's had at Vanderbilt. She works there and in that environment. Um, we fifteen years of marriage. We 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 could. I think there could be more stories though if we would be a little more intentional about carving out that space in our lives. So my encouragement to those listening, those of us who have tuned into this, would be um, Sabbath rest is so important to understand that that we, we we have to have margin in our life strategic margin yeah. to allow for the holy spirit to to give us Jesus's eyes to recognize what's going on around us 
this this is not a mission that God has created for Brandon or Leslie Ann or Jason or Paul specifically. We are we are asked to be a part of God's mission that goes before us. That's going to happen regardless of whether or not we take part in it at all. We're invited to take part of what God's already doing, and yep. and we've got to have margin in our lives to to recognize that and, and take advantage of being a part of it. That's my prayer for Harpathites and for for all of our campuses that that this um, people would come to know Christ as Lord because we do have that margin in our lives and we invite them in in these conversations that we really want to have with them. I love that. Let, let me be so bold as to just, you know, if you're, if you're listening and, and even if you share this with someone else, if you would encourage them to, to pray this too, but man, I would love it if, if we, we, let's just pray for every single member of our church family, the, the, the different campuses, the respective uh, regional campuses that make up our, our one church family and even all the churches in middle Tennessee that follow Jesus, right? Let's pray that for them too. But, but I just would love it if every one of our members, every one of the members of our congregations, if every single one of them had the chance within the next 12 to 24 months, like what you just said, to get in the baptismal waters with that person that they introduced to their identity in Jesus, that they introduced and helped discover, they helped them believe Jesus. And, you know, how powerful would that be? How meaningful would that be? And not only that, that we would pray that each of you get that opportunity, right? And it isn't just about the number of that. It's the, it's this, it's the abundant life that you were a life giver into that person with Jesus, that Jesus invited you to be a life giver to that person. And you get to help baptize them and they get pulled out of the water and we look them in the eyes and we say to them, we can't wait till you're back in these waters too. (laughs) Right? Like that, that, that um, is, man, I would, I just would love it if we would see that, and not because it's a project or, or a vision or a number we're trying to reach to, but because it's abundant life in Christ. And it's the mission that he's invited us into that's life-giving to a world that's plagued with a whole lot of literal and figurative deaths. We get to be resurrection life-givers with Jesus. And so I pray that. I pray that for all of our campuses and Pray that for our leaders and pray that for you guys that are listening. And let's, I even pray that for the people that aren't believers yet, that they find that kind of abundant life in Christ as well. Um, and so hope you uh, enjoyed this time. Brandon, thank you. And Paul, thank you. And, yep, yep. and uh, we look forward to being with you again next week. And again, if you do have questions or thoughts or rebukes or whatever, uh, slanders, whatever, you can you can email those in to us at uh, either jdukes at brentwoodbaptist.com or, or pwilkinson at brentwoodbaptist.com, and, and uh, we'll try to touch into or lean into or make a mention of some of those in the upcoming episodes, and, and uh, appreciate you guys. We'll talk to you next week. 